All right, students, today we're going to talk about Patroclus' death and the aftermath. And so, as I was telling you before that we were all giggling about, let's kill somebody that you love. So, before we kill someone you love, let's talk about the death of someone who we highly respected, Sarpedon. So, let's recall how fate is going to work and play out according to the will of Zeus, as he explained to Hera, is this. First, Patroclus needs to go back into the battle. He has done that. Second, Patroclus needs to fight Sarpedon and kill him. Blood rain. Very sad. Third, Patroclus needs to fall to Hector and a cadre of other individuals. We'll talk about who today. Many of you are writing about who is responsible right now. Then, Achilles needs to return to the fight and kill Hector, die himself, and then somehow Troy will fall. And we will talk about how Troy falls, even though it will not be represented in the Iliad. And so recall that it is the case that Sarpedon has died. And, of course, very tragically, so also has Achilles' mortal trace horse, Pedasus. I know that of all the death that we're going to see today, yes, the trace horse dying that could keep up with the immortal horse of Xanthos and Balios is a very sad, sad uh, endeavor. So there was a major fight over Sarpedon's body. Eventually he is stripped. However, which god is sent to take his body from the fray back to Lycia for an appropriate burial? Apollo. Very good. Apollo. And who sends Apollo and with a fatherly love? Yes? Zeus. Zeus. Very good. So even though he does not spare his son, and thus himself, the emotions of his son's death, though he does weep something very odd. What is the odd thing that he weeps? Yes? Blood. 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 Rain. And a very good question you have often asked, or students have often asked in the past, is, is it ecor rain or blood rain? I think it's clearly red blood misty rain and if you wanted to think about that in sort of a physical way it might mean that there was a wind coming off the beach and that there was so much blood in the air that it caused like a bloody windy uh sort of haze to go around um though natural naturalistic uh, interpretations like those are sometimes weak sometimes it's sort of interesting to think about them so here is a big quote that many of you are going to want to look at who are writing about patroclus you're going to write this down Book 16, lines 685 to 691, Patroclus explicitly disobeys Achilles. In fact, let me just read that to you because if you are writing that Patroclus is at fault for his own death, you will get very happy right now. If you're writing that Zeus is at fault, you will also get very happy because there are multiple ways that you can interpret this. So actually it starts around 684. But Patroclus, with a shout to Automedon and his horses, Went after Trojans and Lycans in a huge blind fury, besotted. That means drunk. Had he only kept the command of Peleades, Achilles, he might have got clear away from the evil spirit of black death. But always the mind of Zeus is a stronger thing than a man's mind. He terrifies even the warlike man. He takes away victory, page turn, lightly, when he himself has driven a man into battle, as now... He drove on the fury in the heart of Patroclus. And then we get a bit of apostrophe that comes right after. Something we'll see often in Dante, where the author directly addresses a character or the reader. Then who was it you slaughtered first, second person? Who was the last one, Patroclus? As the gods called you to your death. Adrestos first, and after him, Adonis, and then Achaclos. Paramos, son of Megas, Epistor, Melanopos, you don't need to know all these. And after these, Elastos, Mulius, Pilartes, these he killed, while each man of the rest was bent on escaping. All right, very good, very good, very good. 
There the sons of the Achaeans might have taken towering Ilion, under the hands of Patroclus, who raged with the spear before them, had not Phoebus Apollo taken his stand on the strong-built tower with thoughts of death for him, but help for the Trojans. Three times Patroclus tried to mount the angle of the towering wall, and three times Phoebus Apollo scattered him backward with the immortal hands beating back the bright shield. All right, I'll stop quoting for now. And so, as we know, Achilles said, Patroclus, should you push back the Trojans, which I expect you will, do not go beyond the gates of the Achaeans, because A, you will take glory away from me if you sack Ilion. And I'm your best friend, so you don't want to do that. And the whole reason I'm letting you go is so that you can help the Achaeans, but that I can still win honor. So he wants to have his cake and eat it too. He wants to uh, speak out of both sides of his mouth, as it were, some would say of him. But the other reason is out of affection for Patroclus, because if Patroclus attempts to take the Wall of Troy, who hangs out on the Wall of Troy, who is very powerful and can kill you? Yes. Apollo, the strongest god on the Trojan side. We've messed with Ares. We can stab Ares and get him off the battlefield. We've messed with Aphrodite. We can stab her and get her off the battlefield. We cannot stab Apollo. He is too strong. God of light and the sun, the archer, he sees us coming. There's no way Patroclus will even touch him. And so Patroclus finds himself in a very bad spot. Apollo spreads confusion among the Achaeans as they approach the gate. And Patroclus jumps down from his chariot. And then a very odd moment in the Iliad happens, a moment that students often ask me about for multiple reasons. What seems to happen is that Apollo, in the form of, say, mist or something invisible, and you might take this to be something happens that is completely unexpected to Patroclus, because when something takes you from which direction is it totally unexpected? From behind, right? And from behind, all of a sudden, Patroclus will be smacked by Apollo. That's how it's described. His helmet goes flying off. And it's not his helmet, it's whose helmet? Achilles' helmet. And so it's the very first time that this helmet, this helmet has ever been in the dust. Because the wearer of that helmet has never ever wanted a battle. Lost, right? And also, his chest plate. The clasps are broken. He's totally vulnerable and exposed. And you might say that this entire scene is a perfect metaphor for the two heights and depths, or the heights and the depths, the two extremes of battle. Think about it. On the one hand, there's how Hector has been feeling, how Patroclus has been feeling. He has killed 36 men, four different swathes of nine. He's probably feeling pretty how after doing that. Not just happy, probably godlike. Like he's invincible. He's even wearing Achilles' armor. He's not listening to Achilles. Does he seem like he probably felt like he was invincible? Could not be hurt by anyone, even the gods. How wrong was he? Well, let's see. Is not the opposite edge of battle to be totally vulnerable and disoriented and to have no idea what is going on and no ability to protect yourself? Is that also an aspect of battle? Is that utterly terrifying? He deals with both extremes. And I think that's what makes this part so sad. He is a prefiguration of which character in this way? Who knows the heights and glories of battle, but will be brought utterly low. And after Patroclus dies, will soon after die himself. Achilles. Not Achilles, necessarily. 
Hector, yes. Hector, who has been pushed forward by the will of Zeus, unbeknownst to him, he will soon taste the bitter edge of a spear. What's the bitter edge of a spear? The spear end, right, not the handle end. Good. He'll be feeling the spear rather than giving out the feel of the spear. And okay. So Apollo sneaks up on Patroclus, slaps him on the back, breaks his corslet, and knocks his helmet off. And then a young man, his name is Euphorbus, sees him. And oh my goodness, this is his shot. He's young. He's very like whom? When I hear that he is a young uh, field marshal who is making his way up the Trojan ranks. He's recently killed 20 men in this battle. Yes? He's very like Diomedes. And so he comes behind Patroclus and stabs him in the back. Is that a fair way to attack Patroclus? No. Is that definitely a legitimate way, however? Yes. Not going to win him eternal glory, but definitely he has put a spear in the back of the greatest Achaean champion on the field who is right at the gates of Troy. It was a big deal and a very, very excellent thing for him to have done. This is the interesting you stab someone in the back, are they going to be much of a threat to you afterwards? Yes. No, probably not, because they're probably going to fall over and what? Uh, that said, Patroclus is so scary and terrifying that Euphorbus does not even take the time to take his spear out of Patroclus's back. So Patroclus, I think the spear falls out, but he's, he's trying to limp away back into the crowd. But who sees him? Who's been looking for him? Like a hungry lion. Hector, and let's... Well, let us see the fall of a great man. Let's start around line 816 or so. Let's all take out our books and do this together. Let's be in this together. It's page 373 in the latter one. And in fact, I'll start right before that just to describe what I've been describing. The Lord Apollo, son of Zeus, this is line 804. Broke the corslet upon him, the breast piece. Disaster caught his wits, and his shining body went nerveless, as if he had seen Medusa or the Aegis. He stood stupidly, and from close behind his back, a Dardanian man hit him between the shoulders with a sharp javelin, Euphorbus, son of Panthous, who surpassed all men of his own age with the throwing spear, and in horsemanship and the speed of his feet. He had already brought down twenty men from their horses since first coming, with his chariot, and his learning in warfare. He hit first you with a throne spear, O rider Patroclus, nor broke you, but ran away again, snatching out the, oh, so he does get the spear, snatching out the ash spear from your body and lost himself in the crowd, not enduring to face Patroclus naked as he was in close combat. So he stabs him, takes his spear back, runs away from Patroclus. That's a lot of respect. Now Patroclus, broken by the spear and the god's blow, Lion 816, tried to shun death, and shrink back into the swarm of his own companions. You can only imagine what thoughts must be going through his head. Probably thoughts about Achilles and seeing him again and being, well, well, it's very interesting whether at this moment he is thinking thoughts of getting back to Achilles or whether he has consciously understood that he will probably die or not. It does not look like that with this running. But Hector, when he saw high-hearted, Patroclus, trying to get away, saw how he was wounded with a sharp javelin, came close against him across the ranks, and with the spear stabbed him in the depth of the belly and drove the bronze clean through. He fell thunderously to the horror of all the Achaean people. This is that moment in the movie where everybody is slow motion 
gas the we're hearing requiem lacrimosa again it's like no 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 and we're all no <laughs> this is terrible and he gets hit and he looks all beautiful because he looks like Achilles, and he's like oh <laughs> and you see this magnificent creature much greater than any lion start to fall Ah, to the ground and wow we're all like ah, that was a slow motion scream <clears throat> all right good 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 he fell thunderously to the horror of all the Achaean people as a lion overpowers a wearless boar in wild combat as the two fight in their pride of the high places of a mountain over a little spring of water that spring of water is of course Troy here both wanting to drink there and the lion beats him down by force as he fights for his breath so Hector Priam's son with a close spear, stroke stripped the life from the fighting son of Menetius, who had killed so many, and stood above him and spoke aloud the winged words of trap. So, champion battle, you always get the final conversation after the conclusion. Patroclus, listen to the arrogance dripping from Hector's voice here, as if he had accomplished this of his own will. You thought perhaps of devastating our city, of stripping from the Trojan women the day of their liberty, and dragging them off in ships to the beloved land of your father's fool. When in front of them, the running horses of Hector strained with their swift feet into the fighting, and I with my own spear and conspicuous among the fighting Trojans, I who beat from them the day of necessity. For you here, the, the vultures shall eat you, wretch. Achilles, great as he was, could do nothing to help you. When he stayed behind and you went, he must have said much to you. Patroclus, lord of horses, see that you do not come back to me in the hollow ships until you have torn in blood the tunic of manslaughtering Hector about his chest. In some such manner he spoke to you and persuaded the fool's heart in you. That is not what Achilles said to Patroclus. He said, make sure not to kill Hector. Make sure not to go past the gates to the ships. Make sure that you come back soon. He's sort of like a mother in that way. He's like, now, nah, honey, you make sure to come back in uh, before nightfall because, you know, i got to feed you dinner and there are crazy, creepy things out at night, like Hector's. This is how you die if you find yourself in an Iliadic-style battle, students. And now, dying, you answered him, O writer Patroclus. Now is your time for big words, Hector. Yours is the victory given by Cronos, his son Zeus, and Apollo, who have subdued me easily, since they themselves stripped the arms from my shoulders. Even though twenty such as you had come in against me, they would all have been broken beneath my spear and have perished. No, deadly destiny with the son of Leto has killed me. And of men, it was you, Forbes. You are only my third slayer. And put away in your heart this other thing that I tell you. You yourself are not one who shall live long. But now already death and powerful destiny are standing beside you to go down under the hands of Iapis' great son, Achilles, technically his grandson. And so he dies, and then Hector nervously stuck, talks to a corpse. Now, though he was a dead man, glorious Hector spoke to him. Patroclus, what is this prophecy of my headlong destruction? Who knows if even Achilles, son of lovely-haired Thetis, might before this be struck by my spear, and his own life perish? He spoke, and setting his heel upon him, wrenched out the spear from the wound, and spurned him away on his back from the spear. Whew. Awkward. 
What do you say after a death like that? Well, what is there to say? What is there to say? Patroclus has prophesied the death of Hector. We know that that is coming. We know that Patroclus is now gone. Now we have to make some decisions about the sort of man that we thought he was. For now, let's just move forward. We have one... Let's do one more slide. One more slide for today, and then I'll let you get back to outline. And so, Euphorbus. Just to get back to something that's a funny aspect of the text. Euphorbus, major character or minor character? Had we heard about him before book 16 of the Iliad? Minor character. What is the maxim that we know? Whenever a minor character strikes or injures a major character, what happens to aforesaid minor character? Yes? Gets killed by a greater character. Well, in the first 83 lines of book 17, which comes right after the end of book 16, Euphorbus gets killed by whom? Yes, Menelaus comes and kills him. Well, then something horrifying happens. As you know, when Patroclus falls, he has some pretty sick armor on. Whose armor does he have? It's the best armor there. Yes, Achilles' armor. What does Hector want from Patroclus' now dead body? Whose armor? Achilles' armor. Has he earned Achilles' armor? No. No, he has not defeated Achilles. Yes. Um, but isn't the helmet somewhere else and it's kind of broken? The corslet is broken, yes, and the, the helmet is on the ground. You might imagine that that's part of the spoils, though. But yes, certainly, very good. Excellent thought. Well, Hector strips Patroclus's corpse of Achilles' armor, lines 125 to 128 in book 17, and then Aias and Hector fight again. Neither of them score a hit. It's a stalemate. And so Hector and Aeneas then try to capture Achilles' horses, which is pretty funny because who had lost some of his horses earlier after his hip got crushed? Aeneas. Yeah, so he's in the market for some new horses. So he wants Xanthos and Balios, the immortal horses of Achilles, and so does everybody else, including whom who got his head cut off fairly recently. Dolon. Dolon. Very good, yeah. Okay, well, Automedon, who is the charioteer of Achilles, apparently realizes that his life is at stake. Why would his life be at stake if he lost Achilles' horses? Think about Achilles' personality. Think about what Automedon might get blamed for. What is it that he left Achilles' camp with that he is not going to be returning with? Yes? Patroclus. So what might Achilles decide to, block, to blame Automedon for, especially if he loses his horses, too? The death of... So Automedon, he's not just fighting for his friends. He's fighting also potentially for his what? Life. His life. That's right. And he has his Aristea. Lines 423 to 540. And remember what the Aristea is. Acts of excellence and valor on the battlefield generally manifested by killing everybody around you. Uh, remember that Teucris has one. Agamemnon has one. Diomedes has one. Hector has one. Later, we'll even see Achilles have one, and it will be horrifying. And, of course, we saw Patroclus have one in this very same book. And so Athena strengthens Menelaus. Aias has Menelaus in Aias. This is a bad job to receive. So now that Patroclus has fallen, we need to go, somebody has got to break the news to whom? Okay, I want you all to think. What job, less, of, less than any job in the world, do you want at that time? You do not want to be the messenger who tells Achilles that Patroclus has died. What is he clearly going to do to you in your head when you fantasize about this? 
You're the one who has to go tell Achilles that his best friend just died. What is he going to do to you? So says your imagination. Probably kill you in a lot of terrible ways. Who gets chosen? Antilochus. Now, Antilochus is an interesting choice. Does anybody recall who his very famous and wise father is? Yes? Nestor. And so, Antilochus, we might safely say, is also wise, though young. Wise. And so, if anybody's going to break the news to Achilles, it might want to be someone who's near his age, like Antilochus, and B, someone who's intelligent, so that he can keep his head in a bad situation. Because perhaps that's the only way he'll keep his head in a bad situation. Well, Aias then commands Menelaus and Mariones to take Patroclus' body back in the Iontes while hold off the Trojans. So, very similar to Sarpedon, Patroclus loses his armor, but his body will be taken back home. It will not be despoiled. And this is good because I don't think I share it with you here, but I do believe that the idea of Hector was that if he were to get Patroclus' body, he would cut off his head and stick it on a pike outside of Troy. And if there's anything that could make the end of Hector's life worse, it would be if he had accomplished that feat. And I can only imagine the things that Achilles would have done to his body after killing him if he, he had accomplished that against his best friend. And Achilles will still do some pretty disreputable and unforgivable things to Hector after he has died. All right. We'll talk about Antilochus bringing the news of Troglus' death to Achilles.